Well, good morning. Welcome to Awakening. Thrilled to have you. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Uh, we're finishing up a series titled Indebted uh, in Blank We Trust. If you missed any part of it, this is week three. You can go back to awakeningchurch.com uh, and catch up on that uh, on it. Uh, and then also, for those you may not know, many of you do know that we live stream our services. We actually have a a good amount of people who uh, check in online, and so we just want to say welcome to those who are watching right now uh, live stream. It's not quite the same worship and experience because when you're live here, it's crazy good, but we're still good. I'm glad that you're here. Um, and so this morning, as we close out our series, uh, I think this is going to be perhaps the most difficult one for some of us to hear. It's kind of one of those hard conversations, tough. Um, it, it, it may not be at all, but of the three, as I look at it, this might be the toughest one uh, as we t- talk about this idea of being indebted. And so as I read scriptures, and especially Jesus, one of the things I found is oftentimes when Jesus had something tough to say, when he had something that was going to be hard for people to hear, he said it in a parable. Or a parable, that, for those who don't know, a parable is just simply a story with a point to it. And he told lots and lots of parables uh, to unpack these incredibly profound uh, truths about the kingdom of God. And so I thought I'd try it. I, you know, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> But I thought I'd write my own parable, the parable of two farmers. Okay, I got one clap. Thank you very much. (laughs) Save your applause till afterwards, because unlike Jesus, it may not be brilliant. In fact, my parable might be terrible. Uh, so, So here we go. Here we go. Are you ready? Here, I don't, I don't know that it's a terrible parable, but it just might be. But it will make a point. Are you ready? All right, here we go. The parable of two farmers. There once were two farmers whose farms were right next to each other's. Each of them started out with just one bushel of grain. The first farmer saw that the grain would make great cakes, pastries, and bread. He loved homemade bread. So he thought to himself, why would I put all this grain in the ground? I'll plant as little as possible and enjoy the rest. And so on his farm, he planted one row of grain and enjoyed wonderful pastries, cakes, and bread. The second farmer, however, looked at his bushel of grain and thought, if I live on as little as possible, plant the rest, this time next year I'll have a bountiful harvest uh, and plenty to, uh, to enjoy and plenty to plant for the following year. And so while the first farmer was enjoying fine pastries and homemade bread, the second farmer made little flatbreads and often went without as he worked the field. Instead of one row, the second farmer planted 50 rows of grain. Months went by. And the first farmer thought he had made as he relaxed, ate, and watched the second farmer work, toil, and eat his small flat bread. Then one day, it was finally harvest time. The farmers took a look at their fields and began to gather their crops. The first farmer's one row yielded a crop, but it wasn't nearly as much as he had wanted. In fact, when he gathered it all together, it was a little less than a bushel full. He had less grain than when he started the previous year. The second farmer went out to harvest his field, and the return was bigger than he could have dreamed. He started out with one bushel of grain, but after harvesting his 50 rows, he now had 40 bushels of grain. The second farmer now needed more land to plant his crops, and so he asked the first farmer if he'd be willing to sell. (laughs) The first farmer was mad at the second farmer's good fortune. 
called him lucky and couldn't believe how unfair God had been. Why did God bless you more than me, he said. My friend, the second farmer replied, the answer is simply found in the law of the harvest. This morning, we are going to be talking about the law of the harvest. And the reason I think for some this might be hard to hear or difficult is for some in this room, some of the things that you're upset about, that you're complaining about, that perhaps you're even blaming God for, aren't actually God's fault, but are simply unpacked in the law of the harvest. That it comes from a failure to understand how this law applies to us. And the law of the harvest, just like the law of gravity, operates whether we believe it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. It is a principle or a truism found in nature that impacts all of life. And so if you got your notes, I want to dive in this morning and talk about the law of the harvest as we close out our series, Indebted. The Apostle Paul is unpacking for the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what does it look like to be generous and helping them discover and learn uh, God who has been so generous to us. That's how we began, that we have an extravagantly generous God. So how can we not then be generous? And yet they made this really big commitment. And a year later, Paul's nervous that they're not going to follow through on their commitment. And he's been bragging about them to other churches, specifically the Macedonian church, who was very poor and didn't have a whole lot of means, but inspired by the Corinthians' pledge, stepped out and began to experience God's grace in that moment. And Paul's going, I don't want you to miss out on this, and I don't want you to actually uh, embarrass yourself or embarrass me. And so he then begins to unpack a theology of generosity, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Chapter 9, he's going to unpack this profound principle or understanding of the law of the harvest and what is so uh, something that we cannot miss. But if we do, it doesn't matter because we're going to experience the effects regardless of whether we uh, know it or not. And so what you'll find is in the law of the harvest, there is a principle, there is a truism. And for those who understand the principle, there is a practice that goes along with it. But connected to that is then a promise. And so we're going to look at the principle or the truism, uh, the law of the harvest, the practice, and then the promise that comes along for those who apply the law of the harvest. The principle is simple. You can guess it. You already know it. We reap what we... Help me out. Thank you very much. Wow. Okay. We'll move on to the practice. I'm just kidding. Uh, Here we go. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Remember this. Okay. Why did he have to say remember this? Because we often forget this, right? Remember this. Why? Because in your daily life, we often forget this. Remember it. And here's what I got to say. What you're going to hear next may not be new information, but you most likely don't remember it in your daily life. Remember this. He goes on. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously or bountifully will also reap generously. 
or bountifully. The principle is we reap what we sow. Underneath that, when we think about the law of the harvest and what Paul says here, is we don't just reap what we sow, we reap in proportion to what we sow, correct? I I went and picked up some uh, seeds here this morning at a hardware store, and so I got peas, and we get this, we understand this. If I plant one seed of peas, I cannot expect uh, a whole harvest of peas. I'm going to expect what? One plant of peas. And I literally have no idea how peas grow. I don't know whether that's a, not a clue. But I do know, I do know I'm only going to get one. You know, what's interesting though, is we do reap more than we sow, don't we? Because one, one, one seed, seed or pea right here planted is going to reap, and I'm going to get more seeds, but I'm only going to get one plant. Now, if I reap 10 or sow 10, I'm going to get 10. ten. Okay, gosh, man, we're, we're cooking with gas this morning. You're doing good. All right. Underneath that, we always reap the same in kind that we sow, don't we? We always reap. So I, I got some more seeds here. I picked up Brussels sprouts, which I actually love. Anybody else love Brussels sprouts? Yeah, thank you. All right. Okay, just hang on a second. We got more woos for Brussels sprouts than worship. I just wanted to say that right out of the gate. We might start serving Brussels sprouts out in the cafe for you people out there. All right. I, got, I have carrots. I have chili peppers. I have tomatoes or tomatoes, depending on how you say it, cucumber, and sweet corn. Now, here's what we know in the natural world. I would never plant, I already used peas, let's go ahead. I would never plant corn and expect cucumbers. Okay. Here's what we do, though. Here's what we do. We live life one way, sowing one thing, but expects vastly different results. See, you, you always reap in proportion to what you sow, and you always reap the same in kind that you sow. The question before us that we have to remember every single time is, what am I presently sowing? And here's why this is so important, because you never reap in the same season that you sow. Some in this room, most of us, all of us, are reaping something that... Actually, we sowed years before. Because you never reap in the same season that you sow. And the reason we have to remember this is so often we begin to think that we've gotten away with something. That, that no, 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 that doesn't impact me. Or then we start to do good, but we don't see the immediate impact. It would be foolish of me to put a piece of sweet corn into the ground and come back the next day and see nothing and go... Forget it. I'm done with it. I'm out. I'm not doing this. This is lame. Nothing's happening. Why? Because we get it in the natural world, but we forget it in our everyday life. You never reap in the same season that you sow. In fact, many people today are expecting a harvest of something that they've never even planted. Some want a great marriage, and yet you've never sowed into your marriage. 
Some want great relationship with their kids and healthy whole kids, but you're not sowing into your kids. Some want to be a person of character one day, but you're not sowing into the moments of integrity in the little areas here and now. Some want great friends and complaining why you have no friends, and yet you're not sowing and becoming a great friend today. Let me give you a few examples. So it'll help bring it to life for us. Uh, we just finished the Spark series, and it's on love, uh, sex, and God. And every time I talk about sexuality and relationships, I issue a challenge to every p- person that is single. And here's my challenge, is that I ask you to take a year from dating. Stop it. Just commit. I'm going to take a year off dating. And what are you going to do? Well, you're going to focus on your relationship with God. You're going to be focusing on becoming the right person instead of finding the right person. You're going to focus and take a year and go, I'm going to sow into being a person of a character, integrity, that, that is becoming the right person before I find the right person. I give it every single year. Uh, on Friday night, uh, Anthem, which our worship leaders are a part of, and it's this school of worship through this big concert over at Westgate, and I was over there, and a, and a guy named Sam, I almost said kid, but he's not a kid anymore, he was in my high school group and then in our college young adults group, and he, come, he came up to me, and he had a little baby girl, he just had a brand new little baby girl, and he says, I know I tell you this, but I can't, I gotta say it again, thank you. Because do you remember? I'm like, not really. There's, this was like five, six years ago. You gave me that challenge to take a year off dating. And, and it was one of those moments that marked me, that I did, made a decision that I'm going to focus on becoming a man after God's own heart. And so I took a year off dating. And actually, it turned into being two years off dating. And now I'm married to an incredible woman, have this precious girl, and I can't thank you enough. Why? Because he sowed, and now he's reaping. We reap what we sow. He sowed to become the, uh, who he was made to be, to be a man of integrity, and as a result, he's reaping this family. I'll tell you another example. Uh, a few years back was one of the hardest seasons uh, for us as a married couple. And I asked Jenny this morning if I was okay to share this story. I mean, we, we've been married 14 years, and, and so we've had lots of good years. But planning this church took a toll on our marriage. I mean, like a big toll. Like we're just knocking heads and don't know how to fix things. And it's hard, and it's painful. And the pain got so bad that finally, as a guy, I was willing to admit, we need counseling. And so two years ago, we started going to regular couples counseling together. And guess what? We went to one session, and all of our problems were fixed. And we'll tell you, no, okay. (laughs) Guess what? Three months went by. Our relationship actually didn't get any better. In fact, there's some more things that were coming up. Two years later, I look back 
and our marriage is stronger, healthier. I've never had more fun and more love with my wife than today. The thrill of being married. Why? Because two years ago, we sowed into our marriage, and we sowed, and we sowed, and we sowed, and two years later, we're reaping. You reap same in kind. The question is, what are you sowing? We're reaping the benefits of that. What we realize, and what I realize looking back, you know what we're sowing into in that season? Not all bad. We're sowing into ministry. We're sowing into church. We gave all our effort. We weren't sowing into our marriage. We're sowing into our kids. We're sowing into just surviving. And question is what are you sowing in? Because we reap in proportion to what we sow. We always reap the same in kind that we sow, and we never reap in the same season that we sow. This is the law of the harvest, and you cannot get around it. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, remember. You see it in the natural order, but it impacts you on a daily basis. And so the practice... And he's talking specifically in the area of generosity and talking to the Corinthian church about how to live a steward-filled life. And the practice is that we would be a giving, which is not losing, but a sowing. That we would be giving or generous of our finances. We'd be giving of our time. We'd be giving of our energy. And in giving, it is not losing. The Apostle Paul is going to say that it's actually sowing. It is planting a seed that you may not in the moment, and most likely will not see the effect yet, but it is planting a seed that will reap a harvest. He goes on to say this. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart. Just underline that, decided in your heart. Not give, hey, I just top of mind. No, there, there's, there is thought behind this. Not reluctantly, like I don't want to. Not under compulsion, like, okay, now you have this pressure, you gotta give, gotta give, gotta give. By the way, I want you to notice and be very aware, when did we take offering today? Okay, we normally take it at the end for those who are new. We are not going to act in any way that's going to violate the Bible or you. Okay, not under compulsion. We're going to talk specifically about giving and generosity. But guess what? We already took the offering, so you might feel compelled to. You can't! (laughs) Welcome to church. For God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is literally, uh, the Greek word hilarion, it means hilarious. Like I just, it's just, just this absolute sheer delight. And so the practice is giving, which is not losing, but sowing. So how do we give in a way that's sowing and not losing? First, you give prayerfully. Like you've decided in your heart. You examine your motives. You pray about it. You ask God, okay, God, what would you have me do about this situation? You don't have to respond in the moment someone pressuring you. Hey, you got to give, got to give. That's why with the generous campaign, we're not, we're saying, no, 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 go pray, go talk. Let God speak to you and, and make that your practice. Prayerfully give. Then you give strategically. 
This is thoughtfully. And, and nothing against spontaneous giving. I think that's important. But we have to be strategic givers, strategic sowers, where we give strategically. The way my family does it, the way we do it, is we start strategically of giving the tithe. And I talked about that a little bit last week, where we take 10%, the first 10% of what comes in, because it takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to give last. It takes faith to give first. You give the first 10% to God. And so we start right off the top and just say, okay, 10%, it's yours. And you know what tithing teaches me? Tithing teaches us that it is all his to begin with, and I'm going to depend on him and not myself for our provision. And so we give the first 10%. Then we give thoughtfully. We have young kids, and we want to support kids around the world as well. And so we support some kids, and our kids are writing letters to those kids around Christmas time. Well, we're not just about reaching this generation uh, you know, like as a church, it's who we are, who my wife and I are. Well, we support uh, some dear friends who are in crew and give to them. So we give over and above. New Testament teaches this proportional giving, but it's strategic for us where we go, okay, we're, it's not, there are moments where you feel like, oh man, I, I'm going to give this guy 10 bucks or I'm going to buy him a sandwich. Certainly there are those places, but where you would prayerfully then thoughtfully and strategically have a game plan and go, this is how I'm going to be generous and wise steward of the finances that he has given me. And then finally, you give cheerfully with gladness. It's not begrudging. It's not like, in fact, this week I got to sit down with some, I, I got to, they're just the most generous people I've ever met. And it's not just finances, it's they're, they're generous with their words, they're generous with their time, they're generous in every area. And my wife and I, we just love getting around them just so that we can glean some things from them. And I, and I asked them this question because I, I had a message to give. And I said, what is the biggest blessing about being so generous? And I wish you could have sat across the table from them and just saw their face because immediately a smile lit up. And you know what it was? Unified answer. The joy of getting to partner with God and what he's doing. Like we just, we believe it really is all his money. And then we pray and we thoughtfully give. And then we're like, okay, God, what do you want to do? And get to be part, co-laborers with God and what he's doing and go, man, oh, I get to bless you. And I get to steward that. And I get to go here. And there was this hilarious, joyful cheerfulness about it of just like, wow, I can't believe. Isn't that amazing? I can't believe I get to be a part of what God is doing and make an impact here. And it was just sheer joy where we'd give joyfully, cheerfully, and so, would you examine your motives and check your attitude? When we practice the law of the harvest, we reap what we sow. We're giving when it's not losing, but sowing. It's prayerfully, strategically, cheerfully. I'll give you just an example of what that looks like for us right now um, with the generous campaign. And so on Thursday, we sat down as a family, and we, we often have family dinners together. And those with kids, um, if you ever read The Power of Habit, uh, one of the keystone habits, and that's chapter 3. I, none of you are going to read it. You just gave me that look like, I ain't reading that book. Okay, whatever. Um, dinner around the table is one of the keystone habits for kids and a common predictor of their overall success and well-being. 
I would highly encourage, I don't have time to, you don't have time not to sow into your kids. Okay, back to the sermon. Here we go. So we're sitting around the table having dinner. And because I've been thinking about generous campaign and my kids are at a stage where I want it to be a family decision, not just a us decision, I, I started to talk about, okay, hey, you realize, man, we're so blessed here. And I remind our kids a lot that we have a lot. Um, we're rich. I mean, we really are. And I don't mean that, I mean, just when in the grand scheme of the world, he said, you realize the people that we're going to support in Haiti, they don't have electricity. And we are sitting under and we have electricity. And you realize, you know, they don't have a fridge that has, keeps things cold and we go to in a pantry. And, and in fact, almost everybody has a dirt floor. They don't even have a floor. They have one room and they don't, they don't have running water either. And so, you know, I've been there multiple times going back in March and you see people walking down not only to like a clean, fresh water well, but many times they have to go to the river where, I've seen this so many times, where someone's washing a big old vehicle in the river. Other people are doing laundry. Some people are bathing. And then in that same water, they're grabbing water for their home because that's the water they have. And so we just began to talk about this. And I said, I want us to pray as a family. And I want you to pray. And I want all of us to, to figure out what we're going to give as a family. Because we're going to give prayerfully, strategically, and cheerfully. And I loved my kids' response. Because they looked at me and said, Dad, can we give all our money? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's like, Dad, we want to give all our money. And then my one son's like, Dad, you remember that story about Jesus uh, where he was, you know, he was in the temple and the rich person came and brought in all their money, threw it in, and he said, like, he had a lot, and that actually wasn't a sacrifice to him. And then the poor lady walked in, and she gave everything she had. I want to be like that, Dad. Ooh. I was like... Okay, well, first, let's pray about it, okay? <laughs> you ever wonder uh, why it is that kids get this so much easier than us? I, I think a big part of it is um, there is just an innate fear that we won't have enough. There's this, this reality of the law of the harvest is To reap a harvest, I have to let go. As long as it stays in my hand, it remains but a single seed, Jesus would say. But if a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will then bear much fruit. And yet, we know it to be true, and yet we are so afraid of not having enough that we hold on to it, don't we? So tightly. Wondering, will God provide? Will I have enough? And we say things like this. This is so interesting, right? Well, God willing. You ever say that? You ever hear somebody say that? Well, God willing, I'll be able to do this. God willing, I'll be able to. And then as I began to think about that phrase, I, I just wondered, do we really know what God's willing to do? You ever thought about that? Everyone's saying God willing. Well, what is God willing to do? 
Here's what's amazing. The Bible is chocked full of promises from God that he's willing, excited, anticipating, and longing to do for those who actually take him at his word. It's a weird concept, I know. It's crazy. But if we look at the law of the harvest, the, the principles, we reap what we sow, the practice is then that when we give, it's not losing, but sowing. But here's the promise for those who put it into practice. The promise is God's provision for those who practice generosity. God's provision. Notice what he says. And God is able. Just underline that word able right there. To bless you. Circle the word bless. Bless is the, is the Greek word charis. It literally is grace. God is able to grace you abundantly. That word abundant is overflowing, like pouring out over and beyond. God's ability, just so you know, God's ability is to grace you, to bless you, to overflowing more than you can contain. Here's what's so interesting. Here's what I find so interesting. When we fail to give and entrust to God, we're actually doubting God's ability and trusting our own ability instead. So that purpose statement, purpose clause, here's why he will do this. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, I look all three of those alls up and... um. You know what it means? All. <laughs> you'll have all that you need so that you'll abound or overflow in every good work. This is not a give to get sermon. This is not a prosperity gospel. The, if you read the New Testament, it does not teach the prosperity gospel that I give, you know, this whole sow a seed, I'm going to give a dollar to get $10. That's bull, you know, uh, from really selfish, motivated people. This is the law of the harvest. And you know what God wants to do? God wants to unleash incredible good for his glory. And he uses you and me when we trust him with what we have. And so he wants to bring blessing. Now, here's the interesting part. We almost always think about blessing in one particular way. So here's his promise. God will abundantly pour out his blessing on you. When you practice generosity, he will abundantly pour out his blessing on you. First of all, we often fail to recognize how blessed we already are. If you make $33,000 or more, just FYI, you're in the top 1% wage earners in the world. You're like, I can't live on 33K in the Silicon Valley. I get that. You just need to know, if you went to Haiti and began to describe to them your financial struggles, I mean, just imagine going and trying to have that conversation. You don't know the pressure I feel, the weight that I have. I... <laughs> Let me just complain to you about my rent right now. Let me just complain to you about the housing market. Let me just complain to you. I only have hot water for 15 minutes. 
because our heart, first of all, we fail to recognize just how blessed we are. And secondly, I want us to recognize sometimes God blessings come in disguise. Often in not, it's not in our own time. Sometimes God blesses just by the way, by withholding and taking some things away. There are moments in your life for your good and your growth that as a loving father, and this is the picture, by the way, don't miss this. This is the picture as a loving father to help you. He will withhold some things so that you can grow. And be honest, when I talk back about that moment in our marriage, man, one of God's greatest blessings for us was to bring us to the point where we said, I give. And we need to begin to sow into our marriage. Okay, second. God will meet your every need, not your every greed. You ever ask the question, what do I really need? Most of our lives revolve around wants. Here's what I'm (laughs) completely aware of. I have way more than I need. I have way, way, way more than I need. God has promised, I will meet your every need. Much of our dissatisfaction with God is not that he hasn't met your need. He hasn't met your greed. He hasn't met your wants, your current desires. Like, I want to own a home. I do not own a home, but he's met my need. I have a great place that I've lived for nine years. It's awesome. With incredible neighbors. He's met my need. And finally, God will give you more so that you can give more. See, God will not give you more so that you can raise your standard of living, but so that you can raise your standard of giving. And we have fear that somehow it's gonna, we're going to be insufficient or we won't have enough. And we have to constantly remind ourselves, our money is not our sufficiency. God is our sufficiency. And here's what's so powerful when we begin to embrace this. I was just talking with a friend about this. And he was talking about his job and his work. And, and you know, been doing it for a lot of years. And he said, you know, generosity, generosity brings meaning to making money for me now. Because I've been doing this year after year after year. And now it's not just about making money. I look at that and go, man, how can I give it away? How can I steward? How can I bless people? And God gives us more. And oftentimes very generous people, people who understand the law of the harvest, God does bless them financially. Why? Because they're good stewards. And he knows if I give you more, you're going to unleash kingdom good all around you. He says, if I give you more, you're going to hoard it. Think about this. We, we often go, well, that's unfair. No, it's not. It's just good stewardship of God. If I gave you 100 bucks and you 100 bucks, we'll just pick on you guys right there, okay? And you're married, so okay. <laughs> and said, come back in a month, and you come, well, you come back with $200, and you come back with $100. What am I going to do? You're a good steward. You just kind of kept the status quo. Give me the hundred bucks back. You're doing a great job. Here you go. Why would we think God's any different? God gives us more so that we can give more. Let me tell you my big aha. See, the promise of God 
is that God's provision for those who practice generosity, God will abundantly pour out his blessing on you. He is able. We say verses like this, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19 and Ephesians 2.20. Now to him who is, anybody know the next word? Okay, you don't believe it. Uh, Now to him who is, come on, able. Let's try it a third time. Now to him who is Able. able. To do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus throughout. Right, okay. Now, let me tell you my big aha on this. This happened when we transitioned from living in Georgia. And Georgia was a very difficult time in our life and moving back to California. Um, The place I was working for uh, stiffed us two months of pay. And we're trying to move from Georgia to California, and I had a mortgage, and trying to figure out moving costs and all those sort of things. And so I had a car. I had a, a Honda Passport. Loved that car, except it was a lemon. I had to put a brand new engine in it. And so I wanted to sell it. And it was going to supply our needs for the transition. And so we were looking to sell it, and I was running off doing trips with uh, high schoolers. And so one of the families that was in our youth ministry said, hey, we'll, we'll help you sell it. And he was working on selling it for us. Now, they had five kids, four teenagers. Wow. Um, couldn't imagine that reality. And they didn't have a lot of means. And as he's working his normal job, then after that, he's working to try to sell it for us. And we were trying to get $5,000 for it. And so I... through the course of time, I just felt the prompting of God say, you know what, you need to give them that car. And I'm like, but God, we don't have any money. That's how we're going to pay for this transition. And then I brought it up to my wife, who's much more spiritual than me. I said, I think we're supposed to give them the car. And she said, yeah, I, I think so too. So I went over to him and said, hey, you just need to know this isn't me. This isn't anything like this. This is just what God told us to do. So you have to receive it because it's a God thing, not me. <laughs> signed. Signed it over to him. Took the car. We have a couple hundred dollars in our bank account. Mortgage to pay. Moving expenses. And not really sure how we're going to make it. But here's what I know. And God is able to bless you abundantly. I have a God who provides And at that point in time in my life, I hadn't fully experienced that because I hadn't trusted him to the point where I needed his ability, not just my own. And then we got a knock on the door one day. And this was crazy. A courier came to my door. Like, I've never had a courier come to my door before. He drops off a package. I sign for it. leaves. I open it up. A guy I met once. His name's Gary. Said on the note, said, hey, heard you're moving. Really sad to see you leave the area. Figured you could use a little moving around money. And inside was a check for $5,000. So I'm not saying that's how God works all the time. But what I am saying is so oftentimes because of our fear to step out and trust God, we miss out on his provision and seeing him show up and work, and move. See, there is an intrinsic law. It's called the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow, 
We reap same in kind of what we sow, and yet we never reap in the same season that we sow. And so what are we going to be as a church? We're going to practice generosity because we understand that when we give, it is not losing but sowing as we trust that the promise of God for those who practice generosity is his provision, that he will abundantly bless you. That as he gives you more, it's not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. And so here's what I want to ask you to do as we close out our time. On the back sheet, you have what I call a test or a challenge. Did you know in the area of generosity, in the area of giving, this is the only area in all of Scripture that God invites us to test them? It's literally this. God says, I double dare you to try me on this. Jesus said it this way. Bring it up for me real quick. Uh, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I wonder what measure we're using currently, presently. That would be a good thing to evaluate. And Micah writes this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Try me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store in it. And so in your notes, you have a little commitment just between you and God. I would, I, I just dare you to try it. Or you'd write in your name and say, I, Ryan Ingram, don't put Ryan Ingram, put your name. <laughs> Choose to take God up on his challenge promise and trust him to meet all my needs. I take this step by committing the first, and I put in 10%. For some, you're over leveraged and in debt, and you can't do 10%, and you need to choose a different percentage. But here's what I say give it first. Give it first. It doesn't take faith to give it last. Give it first. Say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And if there, by the way, if there's any sense that you're like, oh, I don't know about Ingram's motives, great. Give it somewhere else. Okay? Don't give here then. Give somewhere else. So you go, okay, I'm going to give to the United Way. Great. Do that. But you just begin to take steps of trusting God of my income to the Lord for the next 30 days. And I promise you, as you do that, you will experience the blessings of God in your life. And it might come in the area relationally. It, it will certainly be in areas of experiencing peace and joy, the sheer delight of getting to be a part of what he's doing. You'll, I just, just begin to take notice of how he begins to move in your life as you take steps of faith towards him. Why don't you stand and we'll close. Um, as, as we go, just in, for those who need prayer or maybe even need to unpack this, our prayer team is going to be up front and invite you to come forward. Um, and then I just in light of the election and all the stuff that's gone on, I just thought there, there are some people that are really struggling. And, and there, if you're in a space where actually you feel more afraid because of what has taken place in our country, we'd invite you, come forward, come for a time of prayer as well. 
uh, and don't miss this moment. God, I ask that we would become hilarious, extravagant givers because we've embraced that you are not only able, but you're willing and you love to, to use us for your glory and good. In Jesus' name, amen.